You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. I'm going to be preaching a series over the next five weeks of January. And it's simply titled, A Heart for His House. We're going to talk for about five weeks on this topic called A Heart for His House. There was a, there was a company um, called Gallup. You've probably heard of them before. They're an analytical company. They produce polls. Um, if you've been in the corporate world, you might have taken something. It's called the Gallup Strength Finders Test. It's a little book with a quiz, and, uh, and it tells you what your strengths are uh, in regards to the workforce. Um, here recently, and you see it all the time, uh, they're the producer of uh, the president approval poll. Um, so you see that every week, every time a president does something good, bad, or ugly, that poll gets slapped up there and says, well, he's the lowest polling, he's the highest polling president of this and that. Um, so this is Gallup. They, they take a lot of uh, analytics, they take a lot of polls, they ask a lot of questions, and then they just produce the results. They just ask the questions, and then whatever the answers are, they produce them. So they usually, every year, do some type of religious poll as they poll thousands of people in America. And they haven't released 2021, but they've released 2020. And in a recent study by Gallup, it showed a staggering decline in church attendance. Amen. Way to start the service. You're here. Gallup asked this simple question. They had this religious poll. This is one of the questions that they asked. Do you happen to be a member of a church, synagogue, or mosque? They've asked this question for years. They've asked this question for decades. Do you happen to be a member of a synagogue, a mosque, or a church? And in 2020, the answer, yes, I am a member to either a synagogue, church, or mosque, was 47%. I mean, that's not bad in math. That's failing, but... It's the first time in over eight decades since Gallup has been recording and asking this question that the answer, yes, I am a member of a church, fell below 50%. Gallup has recorded stats to this question since 1937. And when they asked the same exact question in 1937, the answer, yes, I am a member, was 73%. It hovered around the 70s until the year 2000. And ever since the year 2000, the answer, yes, has fallen dramatically from 70% to now in 2020, the lowest it's ever been at 47%. The first time ever in the history of this poll that it's been under 50%. In that same poll, Gallup asked another question. Would you describe yourself as a born-again or evangelical Christian? That is the question that they ask. And in 2020, it provided the lowest answer that it's ever recorded. At 34% of the people that they polled responded, yes, I'd consider myself a born-again Christian. Which they had the highest answer of no in 2020 at 64%. Numbers obviously show us a truth. We see that. 
But I want you to know today it doesn't show us the final truth. Numbers can help us, but it's not going to define us. It can show us areas of loss, and it can show us areas of improvement. Depending upon how you look at the numbers, you can sit there and think, woe is the church, or we can think there's something that we can improve upon. If I pull up my bank account and it says zero dollars in it, I can look at it from a negative perspective and say, well, I must be poor. I must be dealing with poverty. There must be uh, nothing left that I can buy. Or I can look at it as an area of improvement and think to myself, I'm at zero. I can't get any worse. Now it's time to improve. Now it's time to get better. Now I need to start saving. Now I need to start doing. Now I need to start moving to make this balance go from zero to something greater. I mean, what do we do with these numbers? Obviously, it shows us that the American church is in a precarious situation. That the Gallup, which is not a Christian company, is asking these questions, and the American people are responding that they're no longer going to church, and because they're no longer going to church, they're not hearing the gospel message. Where else are you going to hear the gospel message that saves you, that saves me, that saves the world? I don't listen to the news that much, but CNN and Fox News does not run a weekly gospel section where whoever it is gets on the news and says, hey, I just want to remind you that Christ died for your sins, he was buried in a tomb, and he rose again the third day, and if you confess and believe those, you are saved, and you get to go to heaven, and you get to have a new relationship with God. I've been watching bowl games recently, and on ESPN, on ABC, on Fox, at no time during halftime have they come out and said, hey, today we're going to do a gospel show instead of somebody singing or playing at halftime, we're just going to tell you the gospel message. There's nowhere on Facebook where there's a gospel link that I can click on and read about the gospel message. There's nowhere where the gospel message is being preached but in the church. And this poll that is being done is showing that people are getting out of church and they're not hearing the gospel message. In this same poll, Gallup is seeing an increase in the younger generations that are identifying their religious identification as none. They could put that they're Christian. They could put that they're Protestant. They could put that they're Mormon. They could put that they're atheist. They could put that they're Muslim. They could put that they're Catholic. But in this poll, they're seeing younger and younger people writing that they identify with having no religion at all. So what do we do? Do we give up? Do we turn off the lights and shut the church and say, well, we tried. We gave it a good run. No, I'm not going to do that. We're not going to do that as a church. We need to return to our first love and regain a heart for his house. We must do what King David did and what he wanted to do when he wanted to build a house for God. And we're going to be in 1 Kings and Samuel and Chronicles. We're going to be in and around those stories and those books today and over the next couple of weeks. And we'll start in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 
verses 1 through 3, 2 Samuel chapter 7, talking about King David. Now it came to pass when the king, being King David, was dwelling in his house. Now he's a king, he's living in a palace, he's living in the nicest of houses, great cedars from Lebanon, gold and the finest of tapestries, he's got thrones and crowns, he's got guards, he's got servants, he's got the best food, the best music, the best stereo systems, the best jails and torture chambers, whatever they have in palaces, he's got it all. And he's sitting in his palace, in his house, and look what the Lord had done for him. And the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around. Now, this is a big deal because if you read in 2 Samuel chapter 11, the story where it starts with Bathsheba and all the chaos that happens with that, it says that David was home during the spring, during the season that the kings went out to battle. So every year, there was a season that the kings would leave their palace would leave their people, and they would go out to battle. They would go out and fight each other. There was fall, there was spring, there was battle, there was Christmas, there was Thanksgiving, there was summer. And it says in 2 Samuel 7 that the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies all around. And he's just sitting in his palace. He's just relaxing. He's just enjoying. And As the moment he should be going on vacation, he doesn't have to battle, he doesn't have to worry about anything, taking his kids to the beach, doing whatever a king wants to do. Look at verse 2. This is what's on the heart of David while he's sitting in his palace. He says that the king said to Nathan, the prophet of the Lord, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. You see, at the time, God's presence wasn't everywhere like it is now. The Scripture says that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. The same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you. It wasn't always that the Holy Spirit was on this earth and residing inside of you. God only resided in one place. If you've ever watched Indiana Jones, the Ark of the Covenant, he resided right there. His presence was there. And they had a temple, they had a tabernacle that was covered in tents where his presence resided. And David, King David, who is resting because of what God did for him, is enjoying the fine, the finer things of life in his palace. The man, it says in the scriptures, has a heart after God. Looks out of his fabulous palace and sees that his God is living in a tent. And look at verse 3. Then Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. That the king had a desire in his heart, because he loved the Lord, to do something about fixing the house of God, even when he was resting, even when he could have been doing whatever he wanted to do, what was on his heart was the house of God, because he had a heart for the house. I believe that the Bible is going to show us personally how to fall in love again with the house of God and the church. Next week, we're going to talk about the benefits of the church so that we can pass it on to the next generation. So the church will recover, and I believe 
if you and me regain a heart for the house of God, and we teach the younger generation, I believe that we are on the verge of seeing a revival again in the American church. If we get back to our first love, if we get back to sharing and teaching and experiencing the gospel, changing and saving our lives, and we teach and show the younger generations how to have a heart for the house, then we'll see a resurgence in these numbers in the church. The scripture that we're going to focus on over the next five weeks is 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 5. 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 5. This is David talking to his son, King Solomon. Well, I guess he wasn't king yet because David hadn't passed. Now, David said to Solomon, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be. No ifs, ands, or buts, must be. I'm sorry, my voice is going through puberty right now, so. <clears throat> must be exceedingly magnificent. It must be famous. It must be glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparation before his death. What a great way to start this new year by you and me making our own preparation. Just like David, making our abundant preparation about playing our part in building this church. Over the next month, we're going to see the benefits of gaining and recovering a heart for the house through the way that King David built the Lord's house. This week, we're going to talk about having a heart for his house. We're going to pick up part two of heart for his house next week. The third week, we're going to talk about making the church exceedingly magnificent. The fourth week, we're going to talk about making the church exceedingly famous. And the last week, we're going to talk about making it glorious throughout all the countries. First Chronicles 22.5 is going to be our diving board for this series. Let's go ahead and get started. In First Chronicles, we're going to continue this story in verse 6. So we just read First Chronicles 22, verse 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 6. Then he called, David called his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. Verse 7, and David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. Verse 8, but the word of the Lord came to me. This is what God said. You have shed so much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Verse 9, behold, a son shall be born. This sounds similar to us just coming out of Christmas. A son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. Sounds a little bit like Jesus. And I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in this day, in his day. And then verse 10, he shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. If we can go back to verse 7, David says to his son Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. That word mind is actually not 
the best translation of the, the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word mind there is labab, L-E-B-A-B, and it's better translated the heart. It's your mind, your will, your emotions, but the strongest connotation of the Hebrew word labab in this passage is actually the word heart, that it was in my heart, David said, to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. And he had a heart for the Lord, and because he had a heart for the Lord, he also had a heart for the house, to build the house of God to make it exceedingly magnificent and famous and great and glorious throughout all the countries. But King David tells us that the Lord spoke to him and told him, I appreciate you wanting to build me a house because in, in Kings we just read, I mean in 2 Samuel 7 we read that, that the prophet Nathan told David that the Lord is with you. Whatever's in your heart, you go do. And then the Lord showed up and says, I appreciate you wanting to build a house for me, but your hands are too bloody. King David is this amazing picture of probably what all us men should be. He's a man's man. He's fighting. But he's also this poet. He's also this shepherd boy. He's also this lyricist. He's also this songwriter. Psalms 1, he writes, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, sits in the seat of the scornful, but his desire is on the heart of the Lord. In Psalms chapter 4, it talks about, I will lie down in peace and sleep, and the Lord will dwell in safety. In Psalms 23, since the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalms 91, it talks about being protected. Though a thousand may fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, no evil shall befall me. He writes these songs, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. But he also writes in Psalms uh, 56, I could be wrong though. He says, the Lord is my rock and he prepares my hand for war and he prepares my fingers for battle. And in other Psalms, says it in Psalms 3 and Psalms 50-something, he prays a prayer to the Lord. And he says, Lord, knock the teeth out of my enemy. There's just this beautiful dichotomy of who this man is of King David. He's this songwriter. He's this worshiper. He's got a man. He's a man after God's own heart. But with the same hands that he pinned Psalms 23 is the same hand that he picked up a sword and he cut off the head of that giant. He went out there and he protected his country and his kinfolk as he became king of Israel. This man, this man's man, God says, I appreciate it, but your hands are too bloody. But your son, the next generation, will build what was in your heart, the seed that was in your heart, the seed that was planted in your heart will bear fruit in the next generation. There's another king that we can highlight. Psalms 144, that's what it was. The Lord is my rock. and He trains my hands for war. If, if God is training someone to fight, do you think they're ever going to lose? If he trains you how to fight with a sword and with a sling, 
I don't think you're, you're losing that many battles. Let's talk about King Asa, 1 Kings 15, 14 and 15. In 1 Kings chapter 15, it talks about King Asa. He's just become the king of Judea. Israel and Judea have kind of broken apart. There's two different kings at this time after King David. And King Asa has come on the throne and he's pulled down the idols of his grandmother. His grandmother built some idols to these other gods. So he's kind of doing some cleaning up. But it mentions that he kind of missed one little area. The high places where people would go and worship other gods were not removed. If you read in verse 13, he removed the idols of the grandmothers, but the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart, his labab, was loyal to the Lord all his days. So let's see what that looks like if his heart is loyal to the Lord. Let's see what that looks like in a physical sense. In verse 15, he also brought into the house of the Lord the things which his father had dedicated. So he's bringing things from older generations of what he had dedicated, his dad had dedicated to the temple, and the things which he himself had dedicated, including silver, gold, and utensils. And we're seeing this pattern in these kings that these kings who had a heart for God, whose heart was set on God, who were in love with God, who wanted to serve God, who wanted to be in whatever path and, and promise that God had for them, had a direct correlation to having a heart for the house of God. And King David saying, what can I do? Your, heart, your house is intense and I want to make you something glorious and magnificent. King Asa is bringing things that his dad used to dedicate that was taken out of the temple, and he's bringing it into the temple. And not only is he bringing what his dad used to do, but now he's bringing his own things and dedicating them to the temple. When you have a heart for God, you cannot help but have a heart for his house. I don't go to church anymore because that church is full of sinners. No. You've heard the excuses. You've talked to people out there. 47% of the people that they polled in America are saying that they're members at a church. And that number is even smaller because it's synagogues and mosques included in that question. Having a heart for God cannot, cannot be pulled away from having a heart for his house and a heart for his people and a heart for where his presence is. And you might be sitting there today saying, well, you're showing me kings. Why should I care about having a heart for the house? I'm not a king. I don't rule over anything. We're here in Williston. We do not have a king. We have a mayor. You're saying, what's the point? You're showing me what these kings should do. Yes, the kings should have a concern about the religious culture of their community. Yes, a, a king should care about the God that is overseeing their area. Why should I care? I'm glad you asked today. Revelations chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Look at these names of Jesus. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, 
the ruler over the kings of the earth. And this is what the ruler over the kings of the earth has done for you and done for me. To him who loved us, your love today, and washed us. He's washing you today. And what is he washing you from? Your sins. And how is he doing that? In his own blood. Look at verse 6. And has made us, that's you and me, uh uh-oh, kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. That's a whole other sermon series that one day we'll one day walk through. But right now in this moment, it says that Jesus made you kings and priests on this earth. That we are kings on this earth. So yeah, it is our responsibility to have a heart for the house, just like the kings that were watching over Israel and over Judah and watching over the children of Israel. It is our duty, just like those kings, to build and have a heart for his house and make this church exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious through all countries, counties, and kingdoms. We're almost done, and we'll split this up today in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. King Solomon has now built the temple. He's dedicating the temple. All the people are there, and he's talking to the people, the children of Israel, and this is what he's telling them. Now it was in the heart of my father, David, to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. Verse 18, but the Lord said to my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. So God told David, because you wanted to build and improve and you had a heart for his house, you did well. That it excited God that there was somebody on this earth, there was somebody on this planet who cared about where he resided, who cared and cared about the upkeep and how it was done, how it was built, how it was uh, presented to the nations. And God says, you did well. The desire started in King David. And his son, the next generation, continued and fulfilled this dream. King Solomon could have washed his hands of it. As King David was getting older and dying, he could have said, I'm not building a temple. I'm not doing any of that. I've got my own dreams. I've got my own aspirations. I've got my own desires. That next generation, he could have done anything, but because He saw the heart for the house in his dad. It all of a sudden affected him. And he said, I've got to do it. I saw that it pleased the Father. And I saw that it pleased God. And so I had to do that. I had to pick up that mantle. I had to pick up that journey. I had to pick up the desire that he had and carry it on. Our heart for the house of God will inspire our children in the next generation. If you want the church to continue, then we need to let the next generation not just hear about what we think about the church, but they need to see what we think about the church. 
It's the first Sunday of the month. It's the first Sunday of the year. We did not wake up this morning and question if we were going to come to church. One, we had the keys, so we had to open it. But it is in me and my wife's heart at the very beginning of our marriage that in 2022 we would still be in church. I didn't wake up today and take a poll of the family. Maddie, do you want to go to church? Noah, you want to go to church? Eliza, do you want to go to church? No, no, no. We made a decision a long time ago that we were going to be in church. My parents are here today. They made a decision a long time ago that we were going to be in church when the doors were open. Didn't matter what happened. The doors were always open, it seemed, at church. We were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They had revivals. They had guest speakers. We had people that would be there for a month. And Rodney Howard Brown would come. He would be Saturday uh, in the morning, in the afternoon, and at night for like two, three weeks straight. We were homeschooled, so that meant we were always in church. I remember sitting under the pews doing schoolwork or coloring books, and people are getting slain in the spirit, people are talking in tongues, people are running, people are getting prayed for, growing up in that. And I've regretted going to a lot of places in my life. I've regretted going to work on Monday morning, but I've never regretted coming to the house of God. And how are my kids going to have that same heart and desire for this house if they don't see it in me and they don't see it in you? To all of you who brought your kids today, thank you. Thank you for bringing your kids to church. Because they are the next generation. They're the ones that are going to bring that number from 47 back up to 50, back up to 70. To come back to the heart for his house. And the last thing I have, the last scripture I have, and then we'll, we'll shut down this part one and pick up part two, is First Chronicles chapter 22. We're dropping down instead of verse 10. We're dropping all the way down to verse 14. This is King David speaking. And he says, indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord. Look at this. 100,000 talents. At the time, the talents was the biggest amount of weight that could be measured during that time frame. So it's the biggest talent is the biggest weight that they could measure gold. 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure. For it is so abundant, I have prepared timber and stone also, and you may add to them. Verse 15. Moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen and stonecutters and all types of skillful men for every kind of work. In verse 16, of gold and silver and bronze and iron, there is no limit. Arise and begin working and the Lord be with you. Arise. And begin working, and the Lord be with you. David spared no expense, no provision to build a heart for his house. Jesus, it says in the scriptures, is the head of the church. And Jesus spared no expense to become the head of the church. 
he actually gave everything that he could, including his life, to become the head of the church. That's how big of a heart for the house that Jesus had. Jesus made it a priority when he was on the earth. It says in the scriptures and the gospels, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. Jesus went to church. Jesus had such a heart for the house and the congregation of the house that he gave his life for you and for me so that now he could become the head of the house. He spared no expense. King David spared no expense. He said, I've gotten every worker that I can. I've gotten every talent. I've gotten every tree. I've gotten everything that I could to make this the most magnificent house available. And that everybody in that building process played a part. That you sitting here today play a vital part to this church. That realistically there are three different types of families that are a part of this church. There's the attending family where you just show up and you attend the church. Thank you for being here. We're glad you're here. There's the giving family, those that go a little bit extra and are giving financially, giving of their time to the church. And then there's the serving family, those that come and serve in some capacity. And majority of y'all are all three of them. Y'all attend on a regular basis, y'all give on a regular basis, and y'all serve on a regular basis. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This church does not function without all three of those families involved and being a part of all three. It's what makes up a church, the attending family, the giving family, and the serving family. It's how the church functions and moves, and you're needed. That Just like King David says, I've got woodworkers, I've got people that are, are melting gold, that are building, I've got stone workers, I've got woodworkers, I've got all these people, and they're building the house of God. And each and every one of you are playing a part in building this house of God. Don't just come and receive, but come and give. There's something that God has placed each and, in each and every one of you to give. We have electricians. We have people that can write music, that can play music. We have people that can, that can cook. We, can have, we have people that can serve. We have people that can help with kids. Make it a priority not just to come and receive, but to also give back to the heart. And so I challenge you, like King David challenged everybody else at the end of First Chronicles, verse 16, arise and let's begin working in 2022, because I guarantee you the Lord is with us in this church. Amen. Let's stand up as we get ready to go out. Next week, we're going to pick up on the heart for his house, and we're going to talk about the benefits of having a heart for his house. Why should you come to church? What's the perks for you when you come here? What can you receive, and what can you tell and encourage and challenge people when they come, why they should come back to church and experience it? Thank you for coming to church. Thank you for being here in 2022. Thank you for being here during the rain. Thank you for being here during the holidays. Thank you for being here and serving throughout the year and throughout uh, giving and helping. Thank you. I can only say thank you so much. And I appreciate seeing, you know, the idea that anybody would show up 
I think my mic is dying or giving out, just like my voice, that anybody would show up to hear this Cajun preacher from Louisiana come to South Carolina. It means so much that somebody would frequent the doorsteps and hear us and be a part of us and believe in us. So thank y'all, thank y'all, and let's continue to build a heart for his house. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your heart and your eyes are on this house. Father, we thank you that you've given us a heart for your house. That as we love you, as we serve you, as we follow after you, that, that we're encouraged to find our place in this house. How can we build? How can we give? How can we use our talents that you've given us, that you've blessed us with, the gifts that you've given us, that you've called us, that we are one body and that we come together and we function together as one body, that we need all the congregation members, the fingers, the toes, the hearts, the lungs, the hair, the mouth, everything to breathe and move in one motion so that we can affect and bless this community the way that you have for us. Father, I thank you for the people that are here. I thank you that they're blessed and highly favored. Father, I thank you that your word says they have the mind of Christ and that their body is the temple of the Most High God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we know that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. The people that are here, the people that are homesick, in Jesus' name, be healed. Father, I thank you that we are blessed. We are the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. We're blessed in the city and blessed in the field. We are blessed where we are right now, and we're blessed in the future that you're bringing us into. Everything that we put our hands to prospers, and the favor of God surrounds us like a shield, and we have favor with God and man. And finally, Father, I thank you that we're the salt and light of the earth. We are a city set on a hill that refuses to be hidden. We will go out and shine This glorious light, the scripture says we will go out and diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere we go. Now, Father, bless your people, protect your people, heal your people, and cause them to prosper in everything they do this week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. Men, we'll see you all at men's Bible study. Women, we'll see you all at women's Bible study on the 13th. We'll see you all next Sunday. Stay warm, stay dry. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.